are the owner and founder of the Connective Human. And so we are so excited to learn about your company and what services you have to offer. Um, but as a reminder, the first half of the show for our listeners, it's all about education, innovation, business, startup, all of that kind of good stuff. And how are we going to be moving into the future five years from now? Mm -hmm. So Robin's going to go ahead and kick us off. Robin is my intern that does the show with me. This is her last week. So yes. this is major. <laughs> Huge. So Bo, tell us first all about your educational background, as well as any jobs, internships, or professional experiences that led up to the creation of your company, Connective Human. So tell us your story. And just right, so, so yeah. real fire uh, department going past us. So don't know if we can truck. get that out or not, but we'll see. That adds to the ambiance of the show for sure. For sure. It does. Oh yeah, we'll roll with it, guys. So first off, I want to tell you thank you for having me. I think it's very important the type of collaboration that we're currently doing, which I know we'll get into, Isabella, and for this to be probably like what your last podcast uh, today. So it was nice to meet you. And uh, so, yep, my name is Bo Blue, and I'm 34 years old. I'm currently in Orlando, Florida, but I didn't start out there. I was born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. And I spent 20 years there. So when I was getting out of high school, I didn't put a whole lot of time and energy into my own really like personal development as far as academics is concerned. I mainly focused on sports and really just kind of making the bare minimum grades that I needed so I could play football on Friday nights. So that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of what um, kind of how I was as a teenager. But as Let I me guess, were you a quarterback? No, I did a little bit. I was an average high school player, so I wasn't that good, but I was a little bit above average. But I played a little bit of everything on both sides of the ball. So, um, but again, I'm not a very big guy. So I always knew that college wasn't really in my equation for sports, but it's the one thing that at least kept me to school and allowed me to graduate. So um, I did, I graduated in 2005 from high school. And then I kind of bounced around from odd jobs, from uh, delivering landscape to working in landscape uh, to cleaning up job sites. And then I ended up working at the post office, believe it or not, when I was 20 years old. And I thought I was going to make a career out of that. And uh, I pivoted and went to the Marine Corps instead and spent nine years in the Marine Corps as an intelligence analyst. So I was able to get some pretty cool skills under my belt. I had a lot of training involved when it comes to being an uh, intelligence professional and different types of intelligence um, uh, roles that I had to do and duties. And I did that for nine years. And while I was going through it, I transitioned from California from a very high operational role of being deployed all the time and coming back home and I, I got really tired of that and I wanted to give back to the community. I wanted to help you know, young adults or teenagers that may have went through some of the experiences that I went through. Uh, my family did experience some challenging times when I was a teenager. So I was forced to really deal with a lot of stuff that some people don't get to deal with. Uh, and I wanted to work with kids that way. You know, I wanted to work with kids that may have um, felt some form of displacement from their families, uh, kids that may have felt some type of abandonment that I felt because my, my father had left me. And I just wanted to really help young adults become healthy, you know, healthy, uh, mature adults. So after my last two years in the Marine Corps, I started a foundation called Fit for Truth, where we worked with foster kids. And while I did that, that's when my real professional journey started that landed me where I'm at today. So I went into, uh, got some mindset certifications, went through some nonprofit courses, and then really built a small nonprofit and ran it for about three years where we worked with about a thousand foster kids across the state of Florida. And we taught them life skills through retreats because we were like, hey, as military, uh, you know, people that are in the military and soon to be veterans, 
what can we do and what what skills can we bestow on these kids based on our training and so we you know we basically ran all these really cool team building events a lot of retreats and workshops where we paired corporations with these kids to teach them life skills and then that kind of transition now to where we're at where now we work solely with corporations and we teach growth mindset to corporations so that's kind of my background in a nutshell uh, I did go to college for a couple of years like I just got a basic like associate's degree uh, but while I was going to college uh, and taking some courses I realized that uh, some of the things that I was learning at that time weren't applicable when it comes to business development for me like I was learning a lot of stuff about marketing and I was learning about business but as far as like what I needed at the time was to get really good at business development like telling my story and bring people into our programs, I decided that uh, to hold off on that and then just grow the organization and do that specifically. Now, I don't really recommend that for everyone. You know, I think that your skill set has to match it. But for me, at a certain point in time, you know, sitting in a classroom for doing night classes, three hours a week, five hours at a night, wasn't applicable to growing the business that I'd started. So I kind of stopped doing that and just built the business. Yeah, okay. so you went through the entrepreneur journey based on um, the fact that you started a nonprofit. And I think starting a nonprofit is even harder than a for-profit business because yeah. you're asking people for donations. That's obviously discretionary funds and they'll either give it to you or they won't. People that focus on pets, um, children, and anything that's in that space of uh, human services, I I'm gonna say, uh, even environment, I think, are usually usually the top priority. So you chose well by selecting to focus on kids. Yeah, and best kid story that you saw positive uh, outcome. Oh they, man! So oh my God, this was awesome. Yeah, we have a few. We have a few. We have from um, working with some teenagers that have been trafficked, right? Teenage girls that have been trafficked, and going from and seeing um, you know a young woman at like 15 years old or you know, young girl at 15 years old, um, very skinny, malnourished, and just very skittish around really anyone until like a two year period of where they're healthy, they look much better. They, they have no problem talking to adults. They have more trust in themselves and trust in adults. To see that kind of transformation from kids that have been trafficked, honestly, is something that uh, was a blessing for everyone involved, I think. Not only the little bit amount of time that our organization had with these kids, but with the transformation that some of the services that the state of Florida is providing really helped them. And I'm telling you, it was, that was pretty magnificent to see some kids start businesses and us help them with that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and then really, I think on just like a, on a practicality level, like those were big wins, but on the majority of where I saw the most growth is really just allowing these kids to have opportunities that they wouldn't have before. And to show them that some of these opportunities out is not outside of their reach. It's actually very, possible for them to go into things that they love and to go into vocations and, and you know, get some type of either vocation training or something to get into what they love and for us to introduce them to that and then kind of whoever we introduce them to let that let that relationship flourish. I think that was probably our most consistent win that we saw with the kids with the service. So what was that the age did. group of the kids that you were helping? Uh, so we worked from really uh, kindergarten all the way up until 19 years old. So we would do retreats and events just for the little ones and just have a lot of fun and be kids. And then we would do some more in-depth emotional training, mindset training, and spiritual training with some of the older kids through some of our retreats. So we really tried to tailor that specifically to whoever we were working with. And we was from about six years old to 19 years old. 
or were the kids so, that we worked with. So you mentioned spiritual also. Uh, is that part of um, what makes you who you are too, your spiritual life? Absolutely. It's it's probably the one thing that's allowed me to um, keep a keep a pretty even balance when different extremes go on in my life from experiencing more, experiencing some hardships and abandonment whenever I was younger, you know, having to be displaced from my home. And then you add some of the compounding uh, trauma of war on top of that. I think the one thing is just my unique faith, but not really faith. It's just applying some spiritual principles that I think everybody can use, like uh, tolerance for whenever we're not when we have done something that we don't really like um, and we're, we're hard on ourselves, we should be tolerant on ourselves first and then we'll become more tolerant of other people. Patience, uh, service to our fellow humans. Um, just there's just, a, there's just a host of different principles that I like to use um, really from a spiritual perspective that I think has, has kept me pretty grounded for the most part. I was saying this to Stephanie also. It's, uh, I, I call it grace. And grace is the thing that um, it's more important than forgiveness, more important than, um, you know, anything else that I can get, whether it's mercy, I like grace and it falls under that, that tolerance. It does. Like you don't deserve this, but I am extending it to you. And it's just like, I'm not going to say I told you so or anything. Yeah. But I, what I learned though, is like when we really become ungraceful to ourselves, Right. And that just means when we're not acting in a line with what we really want to do, like, for instance, if we allow someone to trigger us and we treat them improperly, we should give ourselves grace first. Right. Oh, yeah. And intolerance first. And so that's it. There's this there's this whole thing of like, well, we should give it to other people. Wait a minute. We, it, we really need to practice on giving it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, when that happens, that actually frees up space. Right. It frees yes. up space so we can allow more graceful and tolerant things to show up for us as well. And especially when we're going through hardship. That's when we really need to apply. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. So you joined the military. Um, mm -hmm. People that I was speaking with last week, her name is Michelle. Um, she knew she wanted to be in the Air Force. She went in on the day she turned 16 and said, okay, I want to join. And the wow. recruiter told her, no, I'm not even allowed to talk to you. Turn around <laughs> and go away. You can come back when you're 17. And wow. so she did. And her parents signed her up. She got in 17, 20 years later, a career in the Air Force, and um, she can be very entrepreneurial. I think that's the discipline that you get from the military is something that helps you to probably be more successful as an entrepreneur. What do you think? I think so. Um, I think there's like two, I think there's like a few ways to look at it. For me, it was definitely the discipline. Uh, and I grew up a little bit and it forced me to mature a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, from a um, wake up and do your job and not only do it, but try to do it really well with the skills that you have. Like try to find out what your skills are and really focus on those in that job that you have. And that really takes you a lot of places. But I also think too for uh, is because you're, you're, you're so regimented and everything you do is really broken down to like the finest detail, especially in some of the units that I was at, like, this is what you will do. This is what we need. You're an enabler. This is how we need you to operate so we can be efficient. And so you really get used to having a lot of top-down cover. And I always wanted to see personally what I could do with my skill set when there's not a full chain of command and a lot of resources getting funneled into me. I wanted to see if I could still operate at a high level creatively and tap into my own creative gifts. So that's a the discipline, I think, makes uh, good entrepreneurs, and I think um, different. we all have different reasons, and that was one of mine, is to say, like, hey, what can I do now? Like, can I, I saw success 
uh, on a certain level in the military. Can I do the same thing, but with my passion? Can I do the same thing with, with what I really want to do in this world is to, is to focus on giving back and trying to help create, you know, healthy humans. So. Mm. Um, so uh, this was not even anything that I had asked you about, but Stephanie mentioned a book called um, the five, I wait, 5 a.m. I don't know if you've heard of this book, uh, but I was just looking it up while we were here. It's the 5 a.m. book and it's a resource guide to achievers. Um, what's the best book that you've read? Ooh, man, there's a lot of really good books that I've read. Oh, man, I'm, I'm trying to think of the last one that I read that's really changed my life. I mean, honestly, this is a pretty classic one, but uh, Meditations from Marcus Aurelius. Um, it's, it's, a, it's his personal diary. And when you're talking about one of the most powerful men in the world at that time, dealing with the plague, you know, dealing with war, dealing with famine, dealing with people inside of his own empire that want to basically dethrone him. When you think about that, and if you look at his personal, if you look at his personal diary and the stuff that he wrote, it's the stuff that you and I are talking about now. And this was thousands of years ago. And he basically breaks it down and says, look, you know, you have to be tolerant. You have to be patient. It doesn't matter how much power you have. You have to treat others with the way you want to be treated. He breaks down all these beautiful, wonderful tenets as an emperor that didn't have to do any of that. He could do whatever he wanted. And that to me was one of the most humbling books I ever read, because when you think about the problems of his age, right, didn't we just go through our own pandemic? Yes. Like he was going through yeah. the plague. Like we just went through our own pandemic. Haven't we gone through war for the last 18, 19 years? Because I've been a part of it for the last 11, right? Mm -hmm. He was going through war. So my point is, is that like what occurs to us under, under the human condition largely doesn't really change that much. Just the technology and the way that we do it changes. So what, what they were going through thousands and thousands of years ago, like we're going through right now, what can we take from people that probably didn't have the life expectancy that we have and the medical advances that we have and all this information at our fingertips, what can we take from that? To me, that book peeled all the layers away and it gives you a very, it gives you a couple of things to think about, some tenets to live under, you know, from somebody that again, was has more power than we'll ever experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's why I loved it. My favorite book is The Purpose Driven Life. It's actually one that we did in a church, as a whole church. And it's a 40-day journey into finding your purpose. Um, I really loved it because I actually put the first page of the first chapter on my vision board. And it, the first line, the first sentence is, it is not all about you. And I sat there and went, that is so true. It is not all about me. But yet it is to some extent, because we are the ones that if we choose to speak with somebody, then we can change their life. So yes, it is. But how do you want to be treated? You know, and making sure that you're treating people with respect, right? And, and inclusion and making them feel welcomed and a part of whatever it is that's going on. That's really important. But it's also about being able to um, just realize that we're here to serve, I think, I mean, this is my belief, that following servant leadership is we're here to serve others. We're not here just for us. So, you know, there's, yes, it is about, it's always about other people. That's customer experience. That's employee experience. But it is also um, about how we can make that a better, better world for, for others, but also for us. It, it always comes back 10 times, don't you think? It does. It does. And I think, it, again, it has to start with the individual. Like we have to learn how to, to, you know, in our daily routine, our daily lives, kind of have that approach and operate that way so we can mm -hmm. serve the others. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, 
I learned, you know, and again, like when I first started the nonprofit work, I was still dealing with some side effects from being overseas so long and going through what I went through. I was still dealing with some of those side effects and um, service equals healing. I believe that, like, I believe service equals mm-hmm. healing. That's one of the tenets inside of our, our company, Connective Human. But I realized like, if I'm not really serving from a balanced perspective, like if I'm only serving the community because I think just doing this is going to heal me or it's gonna make me better, that's not the truth. There's there's some other things involved. So I had to learn, I had to learn that lesson as well. Um, that we, that goes back to your point. We have to really know that internally and work on ourselves first. Yeah, I agree, I agree. So we, we jumped around a little bit here, but we're gonna get us back on track here. So tell us about Connective Human. Why did you start it? What is it all about? You know, that why that's always, you know, as Simon Sinek says, the why. Yeah. So um, it was like 20s, like 2016, going into 2017. And after working in the community for a couple of years, seeing growth, um, what I'd realized is there's a greater need to come up with a more inclusive program to connect corporations to nonprofits, which there, there's tons out there and they do a great job. But for us, with working with aging out foster kids and working out with teenage foster kids, what we wanted to do is, you know, create, have the ability to have more flexibility to go out and train corporations and what we saw made a lot of impact. So for instance, when we were going to those retreats and employees would come to us that, you know, let's say they donated $7,500 for a retreat. Right. So when we were work, when I was working, running the nonprofit at the time, I'd come from a different angle, like, hey, would you like to come with us? Like, don't just donate, like come experience this with us, with the kids and look at the growth that we can have and look what the growth that your employees can have by serving for a day. And let's come together and do that. And so while that was happening, that was great. But then it would kind of go away. Right. That the employee, the employees would go back. Uh, the corporations, you know, were very grateful for it, but they would go back and doing their own thing and the kids would do their own thing. We didn't see uh, a long-term strategy of keeping them connected, right, to what they what matters to the corporation. Meaning, I just co-called and made a relationship, and then I told my story and pitched the corporation. They gave me seventy-five hundred. Their employees went, then everybody went away. We're like, wait a minute, there is a this model works. Let's just reverse it. Now let's 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 be in their lives long-term. Let's create a company called Connective Human, and let's connect you humans to themselves through growth mindset training, and then let's connect them to, to their community who, with whoever they want to serve, whether it's uh, working with underprivileged children, whether it's foster children, aging out foster youth, um, women, homeless persons, you know, we wanted to really anything like we wanted now we want to say, okay, we want the operational flexibility not to be hamstrung by some of the restrictions that we have, but we know we provide a service in teaching people how to connect with themselves through understanding how their mind works helping them understand what their limitations are. Let's train them on that. And then let's go take that into the community wherever they want to go. We know the nonprofit world. We ran a small nonprofit. We know how to talk to nonprofits. So why don't we just connect them? And, you know, why don't we create this connective human culture within our city? And then let's let's create that connective human culture in other cities, right? But it starts with everybody understanding we're on the same page to let's understand ourselves. Let's understand our our corporate culture and how we align with that. Let's create a system to become more commutative, right? And create a more inclusive opportunities for everyone. And then let's give that back into the community. And so that's really what we do. We take organizations through three and four months of growth mindset training, where we sit down and we teach them our four pillars and we help, you know, we help employees reduce stress. We help their business development. We help with communication, right? We help with, you know, different um, limitations that some of these employees think they have. We help them break that out and understand it. And we kind of integrate them back into their team where, you know, they have a more healthy culture and more healthy and climate, which helps with their healthcare costs and a bunch of other things. And once we do oh, yeah. that, 
and we teach them these methods and we, we check up on them, then we create events around what they learn so they can serve those things to other humans that they want to serve. And that's what we were missing from the nonprofit realm. We were, we were solely focused on our bylaws and how we were written. This is who we're going to serve and this is how we're going to do it. And we saw there's just a huge need, Isabella. It's a huge need to get humans to understand really how connected we are, how to teach them how to connect with themselves, and then give that back to the community. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I have similar um, beliefs. I, I approach it differently. I think everything is like dating. And that's my my little tagline. Everything's like dating. You know, we pick our our significant others, but we even relate to our family that way. But it's really where we spend the most time in the workplace is with those that we work with. So we should be treating that relationship with respect and also realizing that we will disagree. We need to be able to come together. We need to be able to support each other because we are all human and we have messy. We're messy people as it is. We have emotions, we have fears, and just being able to, I'm going to use your words, connect with each other in a more um, caring way that demonstrates kindness and true listening, I think it's going to make it a better world. So I think you and I run on um, parallel paths that overlap. They support each other. So I could not be more excited. But let's take a minute to talk about how we met, too. It's through the Avalon program. Oh, we have to give a shout out to them. Yeah, let's give them a shout out for sure. Um, So you applied to Avalon and it was a rigorous process, right? Business plan, financials, all kinds of attachments that Mm -hmm. submit that were a legit business. And then um, the interview process, our pitch decks, everything that we did, it, it took a while. But what Stephanie said, and she was a guest earlier that we um, had done the show with, she said there was over 150 people that applied. So to be the final 28, that's like a big deal. That's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So the process for me was like, so this is just kind of eerie. So we were, I got back from, um, I'm going to back up to, um, not this last summer, but the summer of 2019, I had just gotten back from a, a private contract out in Afghanistan and I got home and then I took, you know, I, I got connected to human, which is pretty much stagnant at the time. At the, at the time we had two other business partners, nothing was really going on with it. Um, so I was like, Hey, I got it full force now. Like we were doing team building events here and there, but no one was really like paying a whole lot of attention to it. So, um, I came home and I took it over completely. And now being, being like the sole owner and everything um we started we started doing events again right we started doing murals and that's one of our that's one of our main team building events is we tell we tell stories through mural art and we've done over like 500 yards worth of murals in across florida really in the last like couple years so oh yeah they're and they're great they're awesome and everybody loves it and we tell stories through art right And, and that's just something that everybody can be a part of and go back and see and our artist is amazing rasta shout out to him but so I was doing that. I was like, all right, we're going to do this. I, I wanted to get into the corporate wellness space, uh, but I was focused on earning revenue and getting the team building out there. And come like late January, early, early February, we had um, contracts down with some big companies, big companies uh, to do some, some pretty big murals and stuff. Uh, really one in Arizona, one in California, and we had one up in the Northeast. And these big companies came back to me in like February and were like, hey, we're not doing anything. And we're like, we're canceling all of our, our events until further notice. I had to give back some deposits on a few of them. And I was like, okay, that's weird. And then March, obviously the coronavirus hit. So some of these big companies that were international, I think they saw it coming. I think they saw the writing on the wall. So that's what happened to me. And then, so all of our business went away. All of our team building events went away overnight. And so I was like, 
Well, we're in a team building where people need to get together and have fun and enjoy themselves. And uh, I just went away because of the coronavirus. So what are we going to do? So I applied. I think I just saw it on Facebook. I was like, oh, cool. They have a they have a grant or a seed fund for, for you know, nascent or budding businesses. I was like, that's cool. So I applied for it and then just kind of went through like what you said, gave them the numbers, gave them the plan, showed them our clients, showed them the, um, showed them the, the positive impact that we had. Uh, and then I put in the growth mindset wellness portion. That's the last thing that I wanted to build out. We got really good at team building events. We got good at PR, getting press, because that's what we have with our events too. And uh, we got really good at doing all that. And I was like, one thing I wanted to do is have a service that we, we could work with corporations longer than just an event. Like, let's work together for three or four months and let's teach you this growth mindset thing. And then let's reinforce it with the mural event or whatever. And um, by doing so and going to the Avalon Fund, um, they enabled us to do that. You know, they enabled us to build out this online subscription-based platform that I'm so grateful for. And to meet you, right, and to meet the Dirt Master, and then to meet, you know, that's a good company. Complex 7 is a good company. To meet Julia, uh, you know, with the marketing company. They're all just amazing people, and they're all like us. Like, they just want to build a community and see people win. And Stephanie really has spearheaded a lot of that. She's been very busy. She did. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's just insane how busy she was, but how really the whole Avalon Park staff put this thing together with her spearheading it, I think has been amazing. And I'm, I mean, I'll just tell you straight up, like it's been, it's been a blessing for our company. It has. I agree. I agree. And just to take it one step back, um, Bayat, the head of all of Avalon, he's very, very entrepreneurial. Um, he went in and said, okay, I want to be able to start this. I want to be able to help grow entrepreneurs. So he went and said, this is what I want to do. And Stephanie said, okay, we'll be able to make that happen. So he empowers his people at a pretty high level. She got a little teary-eyed when she talked yeah. about him and how um, he is, hey, it's okay if you make a mistake. Don't worry about it. We just move on past it. Um, she felt that she could go anywhere, you know, up in the company, across the company. And she told us that she's been there. It's going on 19 years. Could you wow. imagine being at a place 19 years? Like you were nine, you said nine years in the military. Yeah. It says a lot when anybody, because people don't normally stay. So I think military contracts are two years. So how did you do it for nine? I'm kind of four to six. Yeah. So I think my first one was five and then my second one was four. Oh, so okay. usually four. Yeah. Uh, no. And, and and he has great leadership. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet him just for a little bit. And you can tell you can tell the trust and kind of the camaraderie they have in that building. Yes. And, and honestly, that's something that we all strive for. I mean, if we, yeah. can, if we can retain great talent like that, like they have for, for that long, that's pretty that's impressive. It, says it just a shows lot. his leadership. It shows his leadership. You know, it does. It absolutely does. And the other thing that she had also mentioned is that um, through all of this COVID, they haven't had to let anybody go. They've been able to make sure that, you know, the company was strong and, and did whatever it took to be able to keep the people in place. And that, again, that's back to, you know, the, the whole leadership that is making that actually happen. That's key. Yeah, and that's like super neat, like unique. Like think of all the companies that are just cutting away and they're mm -hmm. like, they're like, nope. And then, you know, you've got the Avalon Park groups like, hey, we're going to do whatever we have to do to keep you here. Like let's, mm -hmm. you're, you're an added benefit. And I think that's a great way to look at how we should build culture. I think that's a great, I think there's a, there's a, a lesson there that you just brought out is like, really, you know, it's when things do get tough is whenever we should really support our people and really that's back right. them up. You know what I mean? She said it's community and he's yeah. very, um, 
because he's from Switzerland, he mm -hmm. has a mindset of coming from uh, where you work, you live, you play. It should all be integrated together. There was a fourth one. Do you remember what she said? Work, live, place. I don't know. There was a fourth one. But the point is, is that we need to be um, realizing that everything that we do, it's building a community and it is about the relationship. And I found that um, nice, really nice. Because it, when I go into Avalon, I always think of it being a very small community. And some of those um, groups that we've gone to already, you and I, they, um, the ones that are geared around the business development, that's the once a month event. Um, they always are there about how can we support your business? Yeah. And I appreciate that because that is, that goes back to the relationship, right? Establishing trust. And being able to know that this is a community and we're here to make sure that there's food on the table that, you know, people are feeling safe. Maslow's theory, right? Mm -hmm. People feel safe. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, so the, in the military, tell me what you did exactly. You were a data. Yeah, so I was, a, yeah, it was, so it was what you call like an all source intel analyst. So it's like a jack of all trades. Like I wasn't a specialist in one form of intelligence. There's multiple forms of intelligence. Uh, one that I focused on was on the uh, human intelligence realm, um, where we worked with a lot of like other humans in other countries to, to do stuff. So um, I got really good at that. But my main job for the first four years was to prepare to go prepare our unit to go into combat, basically let them know like what the threat is, who the where the threat is at, what they're likely going to do to us, um, recommended courses of action, uh, everything from, you know, doing patrols to doing raids to jumping out of planes my job is to make sure that i let them know uh and i, I participated in it uh what the weather weather enemy and terrain looked like like that was my my basic job when i first got in uh and that was what i did uh deploying to iraq twice and afghanistan twice while i was in the military and then i i moved into more of a targeting perspective where i did targeting um and supported targeting operations as well so i really did i worked at so many different levels all the way from like working at a platoon level and in and, and a um, company level going out on missions to working at a higher echelons and even higher echelon levels. But I literally, I had a unique experience of providing briefings and intelligence to all different types of levels of Marine Corps operations. So I, that's, you know, a skill set that I was able to learn is to take in a lot of information, read a lot of information, distill it down and communicate it so someone can make decisions uh, in very high level um, decisions that affect human lives. So that's kind of, I think, the best skill set that I was able to get out of it is how to find things, uh, what my unique skill set and how to find those things were, and then how to implement them to support operations. So that's kind of what I did in a nutshell um, without going into like too crazy detail. But yeah, it was a good experience. I enjoyed it. And I think that's one of the main things that prepared me to step into entrepreneurship is to be able to look at an environment analyzing myself and say, hey, what is the need? And then how can I communicate that need to the person that I want to talk to? And I think if everybody has one of those persons on their staff that can really communicate to their audience, uh, you're going to see growth. And mm -hmm. it's always been it's always been something that we've I've been able to do to really just keep my entrepreneurship career going to this point uh, is that communicative aspect. Do, um, does the military provide a career path for you guys if you want to be an entrepreneur? Um, so they do have some, they have some classes that you can take. I never really looked into them. I just went out there and just, just started it. So, uh, I never really looked into it. I, 
I'm pretty sure they have some transitional stuff. So I don't want anybody to hold me on this for sure, but I'm pretty sure they do. They do a really good job of keeping you on track in the military. And then their, their transition programs are getting better. They're getting a lot better than what they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too. Um, okay. Well, we're going to take a small break. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Yeah, back to our show. Our show was about internships and remembering someone that gave us a chance. So what do you predict the future of work looks like for your industry about five years from now? Oh, but wait, let me just stop. You're going to have that question, but who that gave you a chance? Ooh, there's so many people. It's okay. (laughs) You can name two, maybe three. There's so many people that have given me a great opportunity. I think uh, I have to start with before I got into the Marine Corps, um, a guy by the name Don Basham really just kind of saved me. I'd I'd gotten into some trouble before I went into the Marine Corps, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have gotten in the Marine Corps. I would have continued on the path that I was going to. So he actually gave me my first chance to get out of kind of my hometown and uh, get out of some of the bad influences that I was being a part of and to go to the Marine Corps. So I have to tell him thank you if he ever sees this. Uh, And then obviously in the Marine Corps, I've got like two or three mentors that I want to say thank you to. They're the ones that brought a very uneducated uh, person. Like when I went to the Marine Corps, like I didn't even know how to type on a computer. I didn't even know what a hard drive was. Oh, wow. And they're like, they're like, you don't know. They're like, map, get the IP address, map the hard drive. And I'm like, sitting there like, wait a minute, what the heck is an IP address? Like, seriously, I, was, I had no idea. Oh, wow. So that's how far back I was. And I couldn't even type. Like, I was like this, like, and, and in my realm, when you're doing, oh, it was, it was bad. And I'd never uh, spoken in public before and did, did any kind, any type of public speaking. I was so far behind the power curve. They didn't think I was going to make it at times. So it's like, <laughs> wow. So I got to tell them, I'll, I'll, I'll end with that. They, they gave me uh, the confidence and the skill sets uh, that I have now. So That's great. It's always nice to remember those people that did give us a chance because that's how we can always pay it forward, right? Yeah. Well, I say obviously, but I think that your business is doing that. It's about instilling um, the, right, the right skills and the right knowledge to be able to implement and hopefully make it a habit so it becomes a, a lifetime skill. Sure. Thank you. Well, Robin, now we go to that question. Yeah. So um, what would you say the future of work looks like for your industry about five years from now? Yeah. And keep yeah. talking about training and learning, but I think that you're also talking about a little bit of nonprofit and probably we'll throw in your growth mindset too. So I'm going to layer that for you. Yeah. I mean, so like our core services, you know, is working with, you know, corporations and groups of employees that want to have more communication, less stress, right? Less friction, right? Be more productive, uh, not miss work as much. Like all the work-related stressors and issues that come that lose companies money. We go in there and work on that and their number one asset, which is their people, right? By teaching them how their mind works and to be more balanced state so they can be more productive. So that's the first thing. And I think a lot of the wellness programs are online. So that's already happening. Um, And I think remote wellness programs, as everybody saw, uh, during the pandemic and even now, uh, it's very crucial. It's critical. 
that remote teams have a way to connect with each other on something that's work-related, but not necessarily the stressors of work to keep them balanced within their organization. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we talked about a little bit earlier, VR obviously is gonna be, is gonna be the way. More oh, yeah. experiential-based things, right? Immersive, yeah. Yes, very experiential, meaning like it, you feel it, right? Because the human body has to internalize it. Mm -hmm. We can understand things on a service level. And you understand this, right? Like think about, and even for the interns and anybody listening, like you can get a lot of information, but until you internalize it and it clicks, your ability to use that consistently is almost null void. You understand it, but you have, you have to internalize it. So I think VR is going to be a way to internalize it. I think experiential things that allow them, I think there's going to be more collaboration, honestly, on like the insurance and wellness space to really integrate, which they're doing a good job, but really integrate and do some cool stuff um, for employers in the future. I think that's going to be a way forward as well. So um, like you said, to me, it's going to be through VR. Uh, I don't know, know what other platforms I think could bring Augmented that. reality. I think yeah, you can you interact go. through, you know, your devices will be in there. Yep. Um, I also feel like, you know, I'm going to go to Star Trek uh, where you can, you know, <laughs> you know, do a holograph or Star Wars. <laughs> we'll use both of those where you can interact with somebody in that space. So that would be like me. I mean, right now we're meeting by Zoom. I mean, that will become, I think, old school. And I'll be able to push a button and then my my presence will be over there with you and we can have a more yeah, real- It'll seem real. It'll possible. seem real. Yeah. It'll seem real. And those five senses, because we need to be able to see, to smell, to be able to hear it, to be able to touch it. Yep. So those are all going to be really, really key because, you know, the more of our senses that we use, the more it actually, it ingrains with us. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of these companies like, yo, like we're, we're saving a little bit of cash right now by not running these big offices. So like, how can we, you know, how can we re remote do this? But we do, we do run into though, the more remote and the more actual human contact we have, you know, we do run into some issues. So I think, I think there's going to be a fine balance between that, I think, in the yeah. workspace going forward. I think there has to be. Yeah. When I was taking my education classes, uh, when I was going to teach high school, you know, we had three ways that people learn. They learn through vision, they learn through listening, and then they learn through touch kinetics. And that's the experiential side. So again, when you incorporate all of as many senses as possible, it, it helps to improve and enhance that ability for it to be retained. Um, so we agree with how that would look in this space, but what do you think it's going to look like for nonprofits? Because, you know, we're having some issues where the IRS has been taking away some of the um, donations. So I think that you're providing a solution where we are helping nonprofits, for-profits are really um, working together to support them and it increases their donor base. Right. And so there's a couple of things. So especially being where we were at here, just outside of Tampa and like St. Pete, like based in that area, everybody's going after pretty much the same dollars in the community. Like there's only so many corporations that have so much dollars to give. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And I know that's, I know that's very like a very basic pragmatic statement, like common sense statement. But when you break it down and break down the layers, you're like, okay, look, how can we give back to those dollars though, as a nonprofit? It's coming from strictly from like a startup nonprofit, even a medium nonprofit that seems some growth is like, yo, what can you do to create something that really gives back to that corporation that donated to you? How can you create that long-term relationship? So you have that, right? So you, your cultures are together. You're one, right? And mine always, again, that's why 
the they're pairing corporations with nonprofits through retreats. Like we always had something that we were serving back to them, meaning, yo, you get this training, you paid for it. It's a donation, but you paid for it. Come check out this growth mindset training with these kids for four hours. We're going to run you through four workshops. It's going to be great. Let's go. And then we go through it with them. So as a nonprofit, I was always thinking like, I don't want to come. And I would tell these guys, I would tell some, you know, the Rowdies, you know, sponsored us. And I got to go up there and talk to them. You know, some other big companies that sponsored us. I was able to get in front of them and say, look, what we want to give this back to you. We want to give you these retreats as well. We want you to be a part of it. So long story short, from just a nonprofit perspective, what I think business development persons and persons that are creating their contact strategy, they have to have a couple of things incorporated. The first thing is, what do we have unique that we can serve back to them on a quarterly basis? What can we give to them on a quarterly or bi-quarterly basis? You know, how can we serve back with our unique skill set? So for instance, if you're doing therapy and stuff, for kids and you need a donation for it, why don't you offer that to some of their employees? You know what I mean? Like for us, we did fishing tournaments, we did retreats, we did island excursions. We're like, yo, come out to the island with us and hang out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like, come on. So we would offer what we already did back to them, you know, and throughout the, that's the way that we're able to do it. I think the second component for nonprofits is you have to have a arm that supplies money for you. You have to innovate and create something that brings in a base to cover your base of operations. You have to, because mm -hmm. everybody's going after the same dollars. Dollars dry up, they grow, depending on the industry that you're in. So that's number two. They need to have something that brings money back in on a, on a you know, to at least cover their a consistent basis, right? Yeah. Right. So like some people, they open, uh, like for uh, one of my the nonprofits that I consult for, uh, that I donate my time to, is like, hey, create like some type of like foster closet or create some type of something. People are giving away clothes and furniture so much. Give furniture, people giving away furniture is like a, it's like billions of dollars worth of furniture just getting thrown away every year. Like, yeah. go get that, and we can give this furniture to aging out foster kids. They they can buy it through the funds that they get, and then you're at least covering some operational costs. So I think I think every medium nonprofit that's looking to expand needs to innovate into what can they do to bring in dollars for themselves without asking for donations. Yeah. In kind is always a good way, whether it's time that people are donating and in kind can be donating furniture because there's always a cash value to that. Um, the, the thing that I think is really significant is um, my background is in nonprofit also. I don't know if I shared that with you, but I yeah. do have a certificate in nonprofit management and I've worked with them, goodness, for like 18 years. Yeah. And what's significant is that they always need to have, um, you know, a membership list. Those members are about 80% of what supports a nonprofit. So a lot of people think, you know, and it's, a, you know, certainly a misperception that they can go for grants. Well, grants are not sustainable. Grants are there for temporary to set up a program. And restrictive. Some of them are restrictive. You got to be careful. Exactly. So grants, they think grants is a solution. And then they'll say, oh, corporate sponsorships. Well, you know, those get decided right at the beginning of the year when they do their strategic planning. Where are they going to, what organizations are they going to support? What is it that they're going to do? So where does money come from for nonprofits? And it's 80% of it comes from the people who believe in that cause that support it. So I feel like your your idea of being able to bring more people inside of a company and have them connect with a nonprofit, that's very influential. It's like, the, what is that sock company? Uh, bomb, is it Bombay? Something like that. For every sock that is bought, they donate a, a black pair of socks uh, because those are the only way you can get them. 
to the homeless shelters and they've distributed millions and millions of pairs of socks because yep. and yep. so that's significant and then the um there was something else that i was going to mention in that uh but it escapes me that'll come back later no, but yeah but to kind of dovetail for that too i think and again from on from an entrepreneurship perspective it has to be it can't continue like you alluded to it can't be the old way of saying hey i'm going to get these corporate dollars like this is what we're going to go after can't be the old way of going after grants they're very restrictive and they take a long time right and, and the there's nimble no guarantee no and in the nimble operating environment that we have now and how we have to be flexible i just think if if they took a couple of different approaches from their contact strategies right to what they can do and again like what can we provide like come to a corporate if you really want some corporate sponsorships like we've seen come to them with the solution that you can provide for their employees yeah that's already one a of part the, of your programs that's already a part of your programs one of the people that um i consulted with was the national nami orlando so the national association of mental illness and i really enjoyed working with that organization uh, for six months i was hired to help reorg them when i was there um that whole health and wellness concept is something that they hadn't done. And they were, it was a program that I had developed. They said, okay, so let's create this as another way to reach people. And you can provide educational programming as a lunch and learn to those businesses, regardless of the size, so that they would know more about what to look for in depression or anything in that space of how to keep their, their employees you know, healthy and we'll say safe for sure. Yeah. Um, COVID has really done a number on people, and there is some depression that's being experienced and uh, loneliness, I think, uh, because we're made for real relationships. So I think uh, that's another way that mental health is not a sexy topic, but yet it is so important. And I think it's really something that needs to be um, talked about instead of being shoved to the side so that it is part of who we are. Anyway, I digress. No, it is. And, and, and I mean, there's a lot of studies out now that, you know, a lot of the experts are predicting, you know, a second wave of, a, when no one call it to be an alarmist, not like a mental health crisis, but legitimately mental health hurdles because of the a mass majority of the population has experienced some type of loneliness and depression. And the, the studies are out. The studies are already out there. People can go look yeah. at them. We use that as, as, a, as a basis of um, kind of showing kind of like, hey, to back up our thesis of like, this is why mental health, uh, but more importantly, how can we teach humans to better understand themselves? Why are you feeling so depressed, restrictive and lonely, right? right? Why is this happening to you in this moment? Well, let's really break it out and then let's give you some remedies that can help you right away. And not only that, let's give that to you in a, in a very unique way that connects with you where you need to be and then allows you to have top of mind awareness for it so you can be more healthy in the future. So, and that's really all it is. And we need that right now. We do need that. I agree. I agree. So you're going to be having some interns. You're one of our intern pursuit employers. So I'm excited to share that. What is it that a typical intern, and you'll have to identify the role they would have, what should they expect to be able to work with you and um, your company? So I think right now it's more from like a, uh, an HR perspective. You know, I think uh, we're Processes. definitely looking for, yeah, we're definitely for somebody that wants to be very process oriented. Uh, and to take direction and learn. But obviously, I think a big thing too is, um, you know, we're looking for people that kind of have just the overall entrepreneurship bug. That's like, look, you, you understand that like you, you can work on this, but um, we work at a pretty high, high paced environment right now as we're growing. So are you okay with learning how to communicate? 
to maybe executives? Would you like to learn how to do that? Would you like to learn how to get in the door to get to the meeting where you'd like to get to executives? Can we show you how to do that? Would you like to do it? Um, how, would you, how would you like to write? Like, how would you like to write passion pieces about how mental health and spirituality can help people? Because we would love for you to help us with our blog. So really, a, an intern for us is, yes, you're going to have some roles and responsibilities that we're going to train you on, but to really help them flourish overall and maybe find out some hidden talents maybe that they've been curious about that mm -hmm. we can really bring out. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, especially humans in general, but especially younger ones that are, that are ambitious in their life is like, what are you curious about? Because here's the deal. When we tap into curiosity, there's some hidden talents sometimes behind curiosity. Mm -hmm. There are some hidden talents that our own uh, self-judgments and uh, our own uh, way of looking at ourselves has, has hindered us. And I've seen that. And that goes just from training uh, teenagers and young adults for so long that like a lot of the things that they're curious about when they get over the initial learning curve, they're actually really good at. And mm -hmm. that's kind of like what I'm most interested to do with some of the interns is like, okay, we're going to have some process stuff. We're going to have some stuff that we need on the back end, but what are you curious about? Like, here's what I'm really good at. Are you curious about those things? If you are, you have a whole nother world waiting for you. <laughs> like you have a whole nother reality waiting for you on the other side of that. So that's what I want to do is really open up their eyes to say, yo, there's like different realities that you can step into. If you just want to stay process oriented, you could do that. But are you really interested in this? Because if you are, it's going to open up a whole nother world. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I like to see. And that's what's important to remember is that um, we as humans, we like to take on uh, something and become good at it. And then we want to be able to take something else on. So yeah, they could come in, be very process oriented and spend a good five years getting uh, excellent at it. And then they're going to see, okay, I want to try this. And then you add more, I'm going to say skills to your toolkit of what you can actually bring to the table. I think the, um, I don't think Americans appreciate it as much as they should, but uh, age does come, uh, hopefully wisdom does come with age. And because you have years of experience in something, what you're getting paid for is that depth of knowledge more than anything. It's, yeah, I know anybody can come and do a skill, but what you're paying for is the accuracy and the speed that comes with it. Yeah, the, yeah, the efficiency for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So Robin, what's our next question? Um, the best mentoring advice you received. Oh, and I'm gonna build on top of that. What is the mentoring advice that you pass on now? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So advice that you give out now will may be very different from the mentoring that you received earlier. Um, so the best uh, advice that I got from any of my mentors is just brilliance in the basics, like straight up. Brilliance in the basics. And that was all external stuff though. That was all get brilliant in external things that you can use your skill sets to get basic at, or get brilliant in those basics. And that'll take you, that'll take you pretty far, right? Use common sense and brilliance in the basics. If you can do that, especially in the Intel field, like I'm not gonna lie, like I wasn't the smartest guy, but I was able to really excel and do some cool stuff is because I tried to stay brilliant in the basics remember the basics and then just use a lot of common sense like don't try to outsmart a problem set so that's that's another thing too especially when you're talking about marketing and communication and business development like don't try to outsmart anybody just talk directly to them um you know what i'm going to add though i think that uh, what's most impressive to me to me about what you bring in is your passion and your energy it's really high so yeah. you, you we're, we always have things that we excel at and then things that we're not so strong in. And those are growth opportunities is how I see it. It's like, 
where I was in financial analysis, you know, 10 years ago is like not where I am now. And right. day, and I'm going, okay, I'm way more receptive to it than I was 10 years ago because I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. So, but you bring such energy and passion, it's infectious. I think I've said that to you before. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it just because it, I finally found uh, what what I really enjoy doing. When I say when I finally found myself, like that quiet voice that always said, like, let's go do something impactful, but just aligning that voice with my actions, right? In my mm-hmm. words, it was the biggest thing. Thing that I think the best advice that, you know, hopefully I could give anyone now is uh, our challenges are our best curriculum. I, I oh my goodness, that. I love that. And I got that, and I got that from Ram Das, right? He had a really cool thing. Like he's, he's an American and he's really, he's trained up in a lot of Eastern philosophy and some other cool stuff, but I just saw his documentary and um, that's really kind of the model behind this entire corporate wellness program. And really just like the philosophy that kind of, you know, as we grow and we evolve as humans, we have different philosophies that we can take on. It's okay to take on different philosophies and grow with them. And I think looking at our challenges as our best curriculum uh, is probably one of the most impactful things that I think we can teach people right now in this day and age is because we're constantly meeting ourselves. It's about like, we're constantly meeting ourselves in hardship over and over again. We're reminded of the things that we've done that, that got us there. So we're meeting ourselves, right? And we're also meeting ourselves in joy and happiness. Like we understand what got us to this point to be in a, in a balanced and aware state, right? So how do we get to a point to where our challenges are really just a signal point to say, look, man, like you're, you know, you can fix this. Like this is what's in front of you. And you can do it with grace, like you talked about. We can do it with compassion, with patience and humility and with service to others, right? So that this is all kind of the components that I like to say is like, look, our challenges are our best curriculum. Just know that when you're going through hardship, you're being reintroduced to things, right? And you're being reminded of where you need to go. And then when you're in joy and when we're in happiness, we're just being reintroduced into the eternal balance that we have anyways. So how do we stay in that state? Well, the first thing is to accept that maybe it might be a cool philosophy for you to take on that your challenges are your best curriculum. And then, okay, since we know that, how do we move forward from there? Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm really going to adopt that. So let's go back to that first one too. Um, Brilliance and what? What was the Brilliance in the basics with some common sense. Brilliance in the basics. I like that too. Those are going to be my biggest, I think, takeaways today. Yeah. Oh, and cradle to grave. So like, you know, like when we would get on big Intel projects that we had to do, like what I mean is prepare for missions, whether it's targeting or going actual on an actual mission, whatever it was, is cradle to grave, meaning it's yours. You started it and you see it through no matter whether you like it or not, like what you see it through. This is your baby, like you birthed it and then we take it to the grave and then we move on. So that was a good one. What does targeting mean when you, I, I know you've used it a couple of times and not sure what it means in the military. Uh, either targeting, um, targets uh i'm trying to look at back of our old doctrinal explanations of really what a target is so some of the targeteers if they ever see this they kill me but really from a from a layman's terms is like um either uh, persons or facilities oh uh, so it's like the enemy yeah and and their capability and their capabilities so whether that's their human capital uh their resources uh built different things that they use to stop us from completing our mission we would we would we would deem those as targets as long as it's under the law of armed conflict, as long as it meets the rules of engagement and it meets the criteria that we need, then we can go ahead and get approval to put some type of effects on it, whether it's lethal effects, non-lethal effects. You know, we had to go through the gamut of how we would target a certain problem set. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. All right. Well, we are at the um, end of our show. So how can people 
find you? Tell us your website, you know, what social channels you're active on, uh, contact information if you want to share that. How do yeah, people sure. do? Yeah, you can go to our website at connectivehuman.com. It's connective with the I-V-E at the end. Uh, you can get us there and you can get us on the, all the major social networks. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. On our YouTube, you'll, you'll see a lot of our cool team building events. So that's pretty cool. We, we like to hang our videos on there. Uh, and then um, you can just go to our website and you can contact contact us through there at connectivehuman.com. Okay. Um, and do you, are you okay with people connecting with you on LinkedIn? Oh yeah, easy. Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll see me on there. You'll see us on there. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, Bo, I want to thank you again for being a guest today. It's been so much fun. I really enjoyed it. How about you, Robin? I did too. What was the takeaway for you? Um, I think it was cool that you took your experience with the um, um, fit for, I'm sorry, what was it? Fit for truth. Fit for truth. Yes. Um, you used that experience um, to create your business, uh, Connective Human. So I was going to say that, like, if you don't have any money, I just, can I leave your audience with one thing real quick? Sure. All right. So here, here's like what, what, what my problem was. Like, I don't really have a whole lot of cash being an enlisted guy in the military. Uh, so how do I turn my passion to something that I can do long-term? Here, here's how you do it. I want everybody listening. Mm -hmm. Go volunteer at a nonprofit that you want to do. Like, if, if, like, let's say if a nonprofit provides uh, personal training for free, go volunteer. If it runs a gym or anything like that, go volunteer. If the nonprofit provides tax services, go volunteer. Anyways, go to whatever specific industry you want to do and volunteer. Then tell your story and say, hey, can I tell my story on why I'm volunteering to bring donations in for you? Tell your story and bring in those donations. You're going to learn how to talk to your target market. You're going to learn how to present. And you're going to basically do those donations. They'll keep you on, right? But if you're running in your own nonprofit, for me, it was like this. I want to go do team building events and retreats and train people for a living. I don't have any money to start up a company. I don't want to take that risk right now with the environment. So we did it the other way around. We asked for donations and that allowed us to train ourselves, right? That mm -hmm. was our money for training, but we were training in the form of providing a service. Granted, we had a military background. We had a lot of military experience. People on my board are in like in the FBI, really high achievers. Like we know how to get this done, but go find some people, tell your story, get really good at it. See that you have something viable in the marketplace and then change the name and flip it to something for profit. So that's what we did. I mean, and it, you know, it's worked so far. So you don't have to have a lot of money to do it. You can literally start that route. It's here's the deal though. And here's why it's impactful. It takes a little longer, but you're going to, you're going to have a lot better snapshot of what you're good at and what you're capable of. And I'm telling you, that's the biggest thing. Cause then when you go into the for-profit space, you're like, I'm going to outsource all this and I'm only going to do this. And yeah. that was kind of what I learned. So I, I give that to anybody that's that's young and coming up that wants to have a, a way to legitimately do your own thing. And they can do yeah. it while they're working for a Fortune 500 company. Go volunteer. And then you can start your side hustle right there. And then you I'm going to tell you, I think that advice is uh, also good for anybody that's transitioning from the military into civilian life. You're right. Yeah. So um, it's not only applicable to those that are young. It's applicable. Applicable. It's really Anybody that actually went, I needed to hear this message right now. And you share that. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks a lot. And I want to thank Robin for being here today. So thank you, Robin. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. And um, this show is going to be airing in January of next year, just so you know when to look for it. But you'll get a cool. notification. We'll let you know when it's going to be aired. Cool. All right. Take care. Thank bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.
Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios.